Father, thank you, God, for this amazing time of worship. God, just a time to dwell in your presence. God, to just lift up the name of King Jesus, to lift that name above every other name. And God, just be able to sing our thanks to you, our praise to you, our worship to you, our love to you. God, thank you for this time. Lord, how good it's been to just be able to be close to you. God, I pray now as we go into the time of studying your word and see what you have to say to us. God, I pray that we would worship you through that by opening our hearts and opening our minds to what you have to say to us so that we might be closer to you through your words, the, the God-breathed words that are in this book. I pray that we'd be close to you through that. God, thank you so much, Lord, for just what you've done in this place and what you're about to do through the power of your word and through your Holy Spirit. God, be glorified in this time as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we have... Uh, been in a series lately on spiritual warfare, and Paul tells us that the battles that we face are not really against rulers and kings and struggles in this life, but really they're against their spiritual warfare going on, and it's against uh, spiritual things that we can't see, we can't necessarily reach out and feel and touch, but we see the effects of the spiritual warfare that's going on all around us. Uh, this, this is a reality in our lives. And I don't think we talk about it enough. I don't think we talk about spiritual warfare enough. So what we have done over the past few weeks is just go and look at different examples of, of, of battles and struggles that people have faced uh, it, throughout the Bible. And we've looked at it and said, is this really a battle against somebody or was it really a battle, a spiritual battle that was going on in the background that people couldn't necessarily put their finger on, they couldn't pick up a sword and fight against? But it was actually a spiritual battle that was going on in somebody's life. And we looked last week at 1 Kings chapter 18. We talked about this dude named uh, Elijah. And I'll kind of you know, catch you up on him if you don't know the story that's in 1 Kings chapter 18. It basically goes like this. So these prophets uh, of Baal, uh, these prophets of other gods, Asherah and Baal, uh, they want to duke it out basically and... It, well, Elijah challenges them to duke it out, as a matter of fact. And he says, I tell you what, King Ahab, you bring all the prophets of Baal and Asherah and you pull them together and, and we'll actually build an altar. We'll build two altars. One will be to my God. One will be to these other gods. And you can get your 700 other prophets to come and we'll, we'll do mano a mano. We'll like have my God against your God. We'll see what happens. If, if my God consumes the altar, then my God is God. If your God consumes the altar, then your God is God. But we're going to settle this once and for all because the people of Israel right now are wavering between two opinions. They're somewhere in the middle. They're like, I'm not really sure if my God is really God or if these other gods are real. And, and Elisha goes, well, we'll just settle this right here, right now. So he says, so get all the Israelites together and bring them to Mount Carmel. And they get them together. So they all come together and they, they have this big thing where... You know, he says, all right, let's build two altars. You get a bull and you cut it up and you pull it on your altar and I'll get a bull and I'll cut it up and put it on my altar, altar and we'll, we'll see what happens. He says, you guys go first, you know, build your altar, do your thing. So they go and they start building their altar. They cut up the bull, they put it on there. And, and, and these 700 prophets of Baal and Asherah, they're like screaming and carrying on all day long, right? Trying to get their God to consume the altar and the bull that they've laid out there. Well, nothing happens. So Elijah, he's chilling over here to the side going, hey, guys. Uh, so it gets about lunchtime. So Elijah decides about lunchtime. Maybe Elijah's getting hungry about now, but it's getting lunchtime. And he goes, hey, guys, you're not crying loud enough. Maybe your God is asleep. Maybe you need to, maybe you need to cry out to him a little louder so that he can hear you. Maybe your God is just on vacation. Maybe he's gone somewhere, and, and you're just not crying out loud enough. He even goes so far as to smack talk their God and say, maybe he's on the toilet. Maybe he's, he's gone to the bathroom, and maybe that's where he is, so you really need to scream a little louder. And what happens? These guys go nuts. They start cutting themselves. They're flailing around, making all this big scene or whatever, and, and, and nothing happens, right? You know why? Because their God is not real. Their God is dead. And here you have Elisha said, okay, now it's my turn. It's time for the, the evening sacrifice. So, so we're going to go and we're going build to an, build an altar to the one true God. And he says, so go, get, go and get the wood and we'll make the stones and, and we'll lay the bull up on the altar. And, and then he said, but that's not enough. Go get a bucket of water and pour it on the altar. He says, wait, 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 wait. that's not good enough either. Go get another bucket of water and pour it on the altar. 
Wait, 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 that's not good enough. Go and get another bucket of water and pour it on the altar. We want this thing to be soaked. We want it to be drenched so that everybody knows that if this is consumed with fire, then it must be from God. So Elijah, he doesn't carry on. He doesn't do this big, elaborate 45-minute prayer to God. He just says, God, you know where the people of Israel are in their hearts. You know that they're struggling right now. God, I'm asking you to hear me. And about that time, fire comes down from heaven, consumes the altar, consumes all the water that's in the trenches. It's gone in a second. And the people, you know what they cry out? The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they're crying out to the one true God. They acknowledge the fact that, that the God that Elijah serves is the true God. So what do they do? They go and they take the 700 prophets of Asherah and Baal and they actually take them down to the Kishon Valley and they, they kill them all. And we talked about that last week about well, what, what, is that, what is that supposed to be? I mean, you got these, these other, other people and, and, and God was okay with us killing them. God was okay with us taking them out. And this is what I said to you. I said that there's, there's some times when you're wavering between two opinions that you need to let the other opinion die. You need to let it, let it be done with and, and killed and you need to let it die. And I think that that's what God is showing us there, that, that it needs to, to go away permanently. It doesn't need to hang around so that you can go back to the old opinion. The old opinion needs to die. And what was going on here was more than just Elijah, Elijah um, having this, this duke it out thing with the other gods and the other prophets of these other gods. What was really going on here was a spiritual battle that was going on behind the scenes. The spiritual battle that was happening in all the people of Israel, that they were, they were being drawn towards this other opinion, this strong pull towards another way. And that's the reason that, that we see a true spiritual battle going on here is because what's going on, it, it has nothing to do with the fire and the altar. It had everything to do with the hearts and lives of the people that were there watching it and, and experiencing it and just being in the presence of God doing a great work. It was all about that. That's what it was about. And, and everybody's like, man, that must have been awesome to be Elijah at that point in time. That must have been amazing to pray a prayer. And fire comes down from heaven and consumes the altar and everybody turns towards God. Yes, it was amazing, I'm sure, to be in that place and in that time. But here's what I told you. Here's what I told you last week. I said, if you know somebody that struggles with depression, try to bring them here this week. If you know somebody that, that, that has a spiritual battle that goes on in their heart, where sometimes they feel like their world is going to end, that they don't, they don't feel like they can go on another day, and sometimes they'd rather sleep than be awake, and, and they'd rather close off a certain part of their life. Do your best to try to get them here this week. Do your best to try to get them here this week. Now, some of you, this is what I know, some, some, some of you actually went out and tried to get somebody here that you love and you care for, and you don't, you don't want them to struggle that way, and you want them to really deal and face those issues in their life, deal with depression, and feeling like they don't want to go on some days. You really want them to address it. But there are some of you that are here because God brought you here. God brought you here because he too wants you to not deal with this and not struggle with this. And be able to confront it and understand what's going on. Now you, you, this is what a lot of people say. Well, Kenny, you don't know anything about that, man. You, you, you don't know really what it's like to be in my shoes. You don't really know what it's like. Uh, to, to deal with depression or the, these times you feel like you're just covered in darkness and, and blackness and you just can't go on. You don't know what that's like. And some of you are going, oh no, don't say that to this guy. Because I'm telling you, I am just a man and just like every one of you. I'm just a human being made of flesh and blood and I struggle the same way you guys struggle. I, I have days where, where it's just like I'm covered in darkness and I don't want to go on. There are days when I'd rather be asleep than awake. There are days when I'd rather just pull the blanket over my head and just not move on. Now you say, wait a second, you're a man of God. You're somebody, somebody that's supposed to be a preacher and a teacher of God's word. You shouldn't struggle like that. It's not true. If you think I don't deal with spiritual battles or spiritual warfare, you are out of your mind. I can tell you this, that one of the greatest preachers in modern time, his name was Charles Spurgeon, he suffered with deep, deep depression. There were times when he would just be covered in this darkness, in this anguish, and, and, and it would last for weeks and months before he could get himself out of it, before God could, could bring him to that next level of his spiritual walk with God. 
He, he dealt with this. He won the greatest preachers in the modern era, and he, and he dealt with depression all the time. His wife actually was an invalid for most of the time they were married. She, she spent most of the time that they were married in a bed, unable to move, unable to do anything, and, and Charles Spurgeon struggled with depression. Now, you can go and read some of his stuff and the things that he talks about having struggled with depression. This is what I know. There are things that happen in people's lives. There are circumstances that, that come over us, and we feel like we are at the end of our rope. We feel like there is no way I'm going to be able to take another step. There is no way that I'm going to breathe in and breathe out one more time. There is no way that's going to happen. I would be better off dead. I would be so much better off dead. Let me tell you something. This prophet that we're going to talk about today, he just prayed fire down from heaven and he had that same struggle. So don't you tell me that there are people that are exempt from it because I know that it's not. You don't believe it. You look around at all the people that are taking medications or, or doing other things to try to block out this world and block out their life and trying to escape to go somewhere else so they don't have to deal with the reality of this world that we live in. You look at the number of people that are doing that these days, you'll see you're not alone. You're not alone. This darkness that comes over us and hangs over our head like a cloud, you're not alone in dealing with that. Let's talk about this, this prophet for a minute and just what had happened here. It begins in, verse, in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. It begins in verse 1. It says, When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. So King Ahab, he's... He's a bad dude, but what's worse than King Ahab is he's got a bad wife. Now, her name's Jezebel. Now, everybody knows that name sort of has a connotation about it. It means not good, right? You know, I don't know anybody that's got a, a baby that they just had, a little girl named Jezebel. I don't know anybody that's, that's done that recently. I think that would be bizarre. There's a little baby Jezebel. We just named her. Aren't you so proud? Uh, Jezebel, she was a wicked, evil woman. As a matter of fact... She, she, she believed in these prophets of Baal and she, she wanted to worship them and she believed in all the junk they were trying to sell and, and she was all over that, you know. And, and here, uh, King Ahab goes back and he goes, hey, they just killed all the prophets of Baal. Uh, Elijah and the, 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 the people of Israel just killed all the prophets and they're, they're gone. So Ahab, what does he do? I mean, King Ahab's kind of a sissy, if you don't mind me saying that. Because uh, what does he do? Instead of doing anything about himself, he just goes back to his wife. He's like, you're not going to believe what they just did. You ain't going to believe what, what just happened back there at Mount Carmel. And says, so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me. If the, By this time tomorrow, I have not killed you just as you have killed them. She says, your life is on the line. Now, I want you to think about something here. Elijah has just called fire down from heaven, and, and, and this guy's got to be on cloud nine, if you will, right? Like, he's going, I ain't worried about some chick. I mean, she's just like, she, she's a woman. I've got God on my side. If God wanted to, you know, save me, he'd just pour fire down on her head, and I wouldn't have to worry about anything, right? So what I think is going on here, as we see, is something that's a spiritual battle that's going on inside of Elijah, that's going on against Elijah on, on a spiritual plane. Because look what it says in the next verse. It says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. This is a guy that called fire down from heaven just a day prior, and, and now he's afraid for his life because Jezebel heard about what he did. I don't think so. I don't think so. I believe that, that what's going on here is a spiritual battle against Elijah. And he's dealing with this on an internal level. Not so much on an external level, but on an internal level, on a spiritual level. Elijah is dealing with this and he's scared. And he, he runs and he, he hides. It says he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. And, and he left his servant there. He went alone into the wilderness and traveled all day and sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Wait, let me read that again. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. This is a guy that just called fire down from heaven. That his God was the one true God. He proved it to everybody because he said... They, they all cried out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And here you see Elijah just been an instrument of God, being used in that way. And here he's running for his life and he goes and hides under a broom tree 
And he prays that God would kill him. Listen to what he says. I've had enough, Lord. Have you ever said that? I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. I know some of you have been in this place. I know a lot of you have been in this place. I know most of you have been in that place. Can I just take a few minutes to tell you the place that I was in in my life? See, there's when, when this stuff comes on you, it's, it's, it's so heavy, it feels like it's crushing you, right? So there are times in your life when you endure stuff and stuff comes at you. Maybe it comes at you out of left field and you didn't know it was happening. You didn't really understand everything that was going on. But, but in my life, for me, the, the, the time that sticks out in my head more than any other is when my daughter was sick. Okay, And I, I go back to that a lot because God showed me so much during that time. And I, I, I'll spend the rest of my life telling you about it. And I just can remember, there would be days, so you know how I said that there would be days when you just want to pull the covers up over your head and you, just, you want to just lay there and, and just cry? That, that happened to me on multiple occasions, one of which I remember specifically, we had taken a trip with, with a large group of our family members, we had taken a trip down to Disney World, I remember it just like it was yesterday, we, we had rented a big house and everybody was having a blast and she had just had her first surgery where they had cut her from this ear to this ear all the way across the top of her head and I can remember just laying there in bed. I remember the color of the sheets. I remember the color of the blanket that was pulled over me. I remember how the, the pillowcase smelled and I remember just laying there and just crying. Saying, I wish that I did not have to deal with this. God, I wish you would just end me right here. I wish that I did not have to face another day. I wish that I was already dead. I wish, God, that I just did not have to deal with this. And I would just lay there. And I was just, I mean, this is, I, we're about to pack up and go to Disney World for the day. And I'm laying there consumed by this feeling, this oppression that's just pouring over me. And this dark cloud that is hanging over me. And I'm just like, God, I've had enough. I've had enough. You aren't exempt from the heartaches and the trials of this world. I don't care who you are. Elijah is not exempt from it. Here this, this, this man is just sitting there under a broom tree and he's like, God, I've had enough. I can't take another day. I don't want to live anymore. And I know there are people sitting in this building that have felt that way. They have felt that way and in their hearts and in their minds. And they have just been consumed with the moment to the point where they're just like, I've had enough. I've had enough. Here's the reality. I don't want you to ignore it. I don't want you to act like it ain't real. I don't want you to come into this place and put a smile on your face and dress real nice and spray your cologne, your perfume on and act like it's all okay. Because that ain't real. You, you can go do fake somewhere else. You come in here. Let's do real in here. Let, let's, let's, let's do real in here. Let, let's not be afraid to address reality in this place. Because you know what? You know what God wants from you? You, you know what he really wants you to do? He wants you to lean into him. He wants you to do exactly what Elijah did. You know what Elijah did? He said, God, God, I don't, I don't want another day. God, I, I, I've had enough. You know what God wants you to say? He wants you to say it to him. He wants you to say, God, I've had enough. God, I don't want to live another day. At least you're talking to him. At least you're talking to the Lord. You know what happens? People say that stuff, but they say it to themselves. You need to take that stuff to God and be real with him. Stop playing games and act like it's not real. Take it to God and say, God, this is where I am. God, I just want you to hear me in the place that I am. People are afraid. They're afraid to be honest with God. They're terrified. Wait, you mean i got to really talk to God about what's really going on in my heart? That's exactly what God wants. 
See, he already knows your heart. He already knows what's going on, but he still wants you to talk to him about it. You know why? You know why it's important for you to talk to him about it? You know why it's important for you to take it to God? You know why it is we pray? People ask me all the time, well, God, why do I pray if God already knows my heart? He knows, yes. But he also wants to hear you say it so you know he knows. So he wants to hear you say it so he knows that you believe and trust in his way and you believe and trust that he is bigger than any situation in your life. It's called confession. When you confess with your mouth, when you say with your mouth and you believe in your heart, it's about saying, God, I trust you and I know that your ways, that you are above any situation, that you are bigger than any situation that I'm facing in my life. At least Elijah did that. At least he said, God, this is the way I feel. He's still praying. I tell people all the time, I said, I say, you know when you got a problem is when you stop talking to God. That, that's when you really got a problem. Sin, sin is bad, and you got a problem in that, but when it gets worse is when you stop talking to God about it. Depression is bad, but it's a lot worse when you stop talking to God about it. Your situation is bad, but it's a whole lot worse when you stop talking to God about it. And that's what God desires for our life. He said, just bring it to me. Just bring it to me, just like Elijah did here. He says, so he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. And while he was sleeping, the angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. You know who this is? This is, uh, I'm going to use a big churchy uh, seminary word for you. It's a Christophany, okay? I told you this before. Before Jesus came in the person of Jesus, and he came in swaddling clothes and was nailed to a cross and wrapped in grave clothes and all that stuff. Before then, he, he was still there, right? So God has existed in three persons forever, for all of eternity. And here, Jesus shows up. I wish I, wish I could stop and stop crying so much so I could tell you this. He laid down. I slept under a broom tree, and, but while I was sleeping, an angel touched him. It's an angel of the Lord. You'll see it listed several times here. It says, get up and eat. And he looked around him, and there was some bread on hot stones and a jar of water, so he ate and drank and lay down again. He's been talking to Jesus about how he feels. He's been taking it to him. He said, God, I don't feel like going on another day. He's run off, okay? So he was there on Mount Carmel doing what God had instructed him to do so these people would come back to the Lord. He, he wanted the people to come back to the Lord, but here Elijah has run off. He's run off and hid, and he's, he's hiding under a broom tree now. You know who chased him down? You know who chased him down? Jesus. In the place that he was in, the, the deep, dark depression Awful place that he's in that he wanted to die. You know who chased him down? Jesus did. He said, get up and eat. Get you some bread. Get you some water. I've prepared it for you. God prepared his next meal for him. You know what God wants to do? I mean, I mean the, the whole reason this place exists, okay, is so that people can come here and they can hear about a hope. That's why. The, the hope that they don't have in themselves, the hope in a one true God, and, and they come in here so they can hear about it. I want, that's why we, man, I, 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 get, I get up early so I, I can be ready to preach this stuff to you, and, and I come in here early, and I'll sweep the floors, and I'll mop the floors, and I, I do everything I can, because there are people that need to hear that there is a hope beyond themselves. There is something, there is a God that loves them and pursues them and chases them down and you feel like you're alone and you're empty and you just can't do it anymore. I get that, okay? I do. But I promise you there is a Jesus that is seeking you out. And he so desperately wants you. I, I mean, everybody thinks it's about being okay and it's about being happy. No, it's about eternity. It's about an eternal happiness and a peace that surpasses all understanding. I just want people to hear that. I, 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 and I, I promise you, I'll labor, and I'll come up here, and I'll do this week after week after week if nobody shows up, because I just want somebody to know. I, I, just, I, really, I just want you to know 
this is real. This is real. If you talk to him, you come to him, he, he, he pursues you. He says, I'm right here. I'm just right here. He says, so he ate and he drank and he lay down again. What happened? I hear, I read a lot of what people say about the Bible and they're called commentaries and all this kind of stuff. And there are a lot of them that tell you that, that he just needed to rest and God was giving him rest and all that. I don't necessarily agree with that. It's not the first time I didn't agree with what these famous theologians say about this passage. But you know what I think was going on here? I think it was still heavy on him. Now, I told you before that I think that there are times when, when, when depression sets on us so heavy that we just want to sleep. You know what I'm talking about? I, I've been in that place. I, I know what you mean. You just you, you want to close out the world and you just want to go back to sleep. And maybe if I wake up, maybe something will be different. Maybe something will have changed the next time I open my eyes. I believe that's what's going on with Elijah here. I believe that he ate and he drank and, and, and God, Jesus himself, had fed him from his hand. And, and Elijah was still in this dark place. He, he laid down and he went back to sleep. He was trying to shut out the world, I believe, is what was going on there. And the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. Or the journey ahead will be too much for you. Here, Elijah, this, this is so, so beautiful. Elijah is consumed with himself and is consumed with the place that he's in right now. And you know what Jesus says to him? Jesus, who's just fed him twice now. You know what he says? He says, there's more. There's more for you. You're not finished here. You've got a journey ahead of you. There's going to be something else for you to do. There's going to be more for you to pursue, more for you to understand. There's going to be some more for you. Your journey is not over. So he got up, and he ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights in Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave and spent the night. So... Here's what happens. See, actually, the distance from Beersheba to Mount Sinai, where he was, is only about seven or eight days' walk. But he, you know what he did for 40 days? He wandered around. You ever hear a story about somebody wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years? Yeah, like Moses had them on their, on their way to the promised land, you know, wandering around for 40 years. I think the, the indication here is he did 40 days and 40 nights the same way, wandering around, finally making his way to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. So you would think that, that what was happening here is he says, you know what I need to do? I need to go and I need to, to go where God is. If that was the case, it wouldn't have taken him 40 days. It wouldn't have taken him 40 days to get there. What does that say to me, Kenny? That, what does that say to me in my situation where I am in my struggles and what I deal with? I think it says this. I think it says this. It ain't easy. It don't happen overnight. It's not like you wake up one day and everything's back to normal and that's all good and and. And, 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 and things, are, things are all right. I think eventually you wind your way around. And eventually you end up starting to seek God. And you start to figure out that God may be the answer. And God may be where, where I need to go. And I need to find him. And I, I, I don't think, I don't pretend that to, to think that people come in here. And they say, well, God spoke to me. So I'll be back next week. You know what happens sometimes? People come in here. God speaks to them. Challenges their heart. They go home broken hearted. They go home just overwhelmed by what the Holy Spirit is trying to show them. And how they're dealing with their struggles in life. And sometimes they don't come back right away. Sometimes they're just like, that's just too real for me. It's just too much truth for me to handle and digest at once. So you know what? I'll be back in a little while, maybe. Sometimes eventually they make their way around, wandering around, looking and looking and trying to find some way, somehow, man. And, and then they go, I remember. I remember that crazy guy down there at the grocery store preaching and talking about how God loves me. I remember that. Maybe I'll go back there. Maybe I'll go back there. Sure enough, that's where we find Elijah. And he goes and he's gone to the, the mountain of God and he, he spent the night there. He says, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here? Elijah replies, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you and torn down your altars and uh, killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. 
Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose and the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood on the entrance to the cave. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So what's going on here? He's gone to the mountain of God and he's hiding out in the cave and some theologians say that that's the same place where Moses was when, when God went by him and he could see his glory just pass by him or whatever. And, you know, some people say, well, maybe this is exactly the same spot. Well, Elijah's here, and, and I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I don't know. But, but what's, what's going on here is Elijah has been challenged by the Lord. Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, when God asks a question, it's not because he don't know. It's not because he ain't got a clue. He knows why Elijah's there. He knows how Elijah got to that place. He's challenging Elijah with a question. Elijah, why are you here? What has gotten you to this place? What are you dealing with? What are you struggling with? This is the same question that God, as he brought you here today in this place, he's asking you, why are you here? He's not talking about why are you at Simple Church. He's talking about why are you in the place that you're in, in this spiritual battle, this heavy cloud that is pouring over you. Why are you here? Elijah goes out. He says, I need to listen to God. I need to listen for God. And a windstorm comes by and fire comes by and an earthquake shakes the ground. And God's not in any of those. God's not in any of those amazing, uh, wonderful disasters that are happening and shaking the earth and, and just about to blow him off the cliff. And God's not in any of that. You know where God is? God is in a gentle whisper. He says, why are you here? He says, God it was a whisper. He says, why are you here? I, I, I told you a few days ago, a few weeks ago, I said, I said, you know, there are times in my life where I feel like I just can't get it all out. Like I come to God with my struggles and, 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 and like I start rambling off this whole list of things I'm struggling with. God, I need this. God, I need that. God, so-and-so has broken my heart. God, this is heavy on me and I can't deal with this. And, and God, this, God, that. And God just sometimes goes, shh. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. It's, it's, it's like so many times God just says, I know. I want you to bring it to me. You don't necessarily have to, ha, ha, have to, to put all the right words together. All you have to do is bring it to me and lay it down at my altar. And God is like, sometimes, in your, you know what you need sometimes? Sometimes the, 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 biggest, the biggest thing that you need in your life, the best medicine you can get from God as he pours into you and you're struggling and dealing with deep depression, heavy depression, you just need to hear God go, shh, shh, shh. He says, God is in a whisper and he whispers, he says, what are you doing here? And Elijah had, had said, he says, I've zealously served the Lord. He said, God, I'm, I'm doing all the stuff you asked me to do. He says, but the, the people have turned against you, and now all the other prophets are dead. So the voice says, what are you doing here? Like, like God doesn't already know. He asked him a second time, what are you doing here? And he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty. Like somehow that exempts us from heartache or difficulties. Like, like I, I've done good stuff, God. Why aren't you helping me out here? Why aren't you bailing me out? And he says, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant and torn down your altars and killed all your prophets. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. What did the Lord say? Then the Lord told him, go back the way you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel, the king of Aram. Anoint Jehu, the grandson of Nishmi. The king of Israel anoint Elisha, the son of Sephat, from the town of Abel, Melo. To replace you as my prophet, anyone who escapes from Hazael uh, will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Everybody's like, well, that's really complicated, a lot of words. 
I don't really understand what's going on here. You know what God's doing here? It's exactly what God said he was going to do. He says, he says, Elijah, your journey's not over. Elijah, I'm not done with you. I haven't finished with you. You've still got a journey. You've still got a place to go. You've still got things to do. There, there's, there's still a place for you to go and to do things for me and for my kingdom. There, there's still a place for you. Here's, here's what he's inviting Elisha to do. He, he's inviting him. He, first of all, he's telling him that, that there, there, there's 7,000 people that have never worshipped Baal. There, there's 7,000 people that have never done all the things that Elijah has just said that they did. That everybody's turned away from you, God. He's so fixated on what he thinks he knows. God says, you don't know everything. I do. And there's 7,000 of them that never worshipped Baal. And, and what about those people? What, what, what are you going to do about those people? Are you just going to let them rot and let them die and not go and do the things that I've called you to do? He says, no. He says, not only that. He, he says, but you're going to go and you're going to anoint Elisha. And he's going to be the one to replace you one day. What is he telling him? The things that Elijah said, he said, I'm the only prophet left. I'm the only one. They've killed all the others. God says, I've got this. I've got this. I'll raise up another one. I'll raise up another man that will be a prophet of God, and he'll, he'll, he'll continue to, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. I'll have another one. Just, just wait on me and my timing. All you have to do is be patient, Elijah. There's people out there that need you to continue on this journey. There's other men that are going to come up, and they're going to take the reins from you one day. You're not alone in this thing. And Elijah so consumed with himself, I think that, that God has given him an invitation to do this. Listen to me carefully. If you're in a deep, dark place, if you're, if you're in a place where you feel like that cloud is hanging over you and you just want to pull the blanket over your head and go back to sleep, listen to me. This is the invitation of God. Not the invitation of Kenny. This is the invitation of God. Worship me. Worship me. Now I want you to understand something. In, in, in Elijah's heart, what he desired to do in order to worship God was to serve God. Now, that may be the way for you. For me, it happens to be the way that I, I worship is really in service. Uh, to reach, teach, serve, I mean like serving is the way that I worship God. That is the way that I get myself out of this deep, dark place. Is I just turn to God and lift my hands to God and serve other people and, and pour my heart and pour my life into other people just like I'm doing here. You see, what you don't understand is what me standing up here doing this and telling this, it's not for you. It's really for me. It's for me. This is my therapy. For me to be able to pour into other people, this is my worship to God. This is a way that I'm able to, to do things in God's kingdom, and I'm able to, to worship him and praise him and love him. I had the opportunity to speak to the teenage girls a few weeks ago to talk to them. I said, how do you tell somebody, how do you show somebody that you love them? How, 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 do, you, how do you show somebody that you love them? And I challenged him. I said, what about this way? What about this way? How about you serve them? How about in order to show somebody that you love them, you serve them? That happens to be my act of worship. You, you know what I do on my deepest, darkest days when, when I think about Kenneth dying and I think about the fact that I'm not going to be able to walk her down the aisle and I'm not going to see her uh, in a graduation cap and, I, and I'm not going to see her grandkids you know what I do? A lot of times I'll text one of you. And I'll say, how can I pray for you? What can I do for you today? Are you okay? I miss you. I care about you. I hope that you're okay. That's my worship. That's what I do. That's my worship. I believe that's the way Elijah worshiped too. It's through service and doing the things that God had called him to do. And he worshiped. I, I really believe with all my heart that, that if you're in a deep, dark place, there are two things you need to do. You need to talk to God and you need to worship him. Whatever that looks like for you, however that manifests itself in your life, that's what you need to do. I, I believe that it shifts the focus from you and the deep, dark place that you're in to an eternal God and his glory and all the things that are promised for all of eternity because he is so good. And I believe it shifts the focus from you towards him and you take your eyes from looking down and wanting to cover yourself up and close your eyes and not see anymore to opening your eyes and looking towards the heavens and seeing how good God is and saying, God, you are good, you are glorious, and you are worthy of my praise. 
And I believe it changes everything. I, I, I'm so afraid that there are people that, that, that they're intimidated. They're intimidated by worship. I think that they're afraid of what it looks like or what it looks like to people around them or how it's going to make them feel. Let me promise you this. If you get to a point where you wish you wouldn't go on another day, if something tragic happens in your life or just situations in your life become too heavy and you're desperate, I promise you at that point in time, when you truly look to see God for who he is, and you truly fix your eyes on his glory, I promise you, you won't care then. I promise you, you won't care then. Can I tell you just, oh, there's so many things I could say. One of the most beautiful moments in my life was when my little girl, she was in the hospital. And she was, for all practical purposes, she was dying, right? So she was very, very sick. And she had been running a fever and, and she had to go to the hospital because they were afraid an infection was setting up in her body. So she spent a lot of time in the hospital. And she said, we were, we'd been there about a week. We'd been there about a week in the hospital. And uh, she looked at the doctors on Sunday morning. And she said, she said, can I go home? And he's thinking, this little girl, she wants to go home. She's got a doggy at home or she's got... Uh, she got friends at home she wants to play with. She wants to go home like any other little girl want to go home. She said, we have church tonight. I really like to be at church. I said, sir, if there's any way that we can be at church tonight, I would really appreciate you letting us go home. We were out of there by about 3 o'clock that afternoon. And uh, she, she, was, she stayed cold because a couple of reasons. One was because her blood cell count was so low. She didn't have a lot of red cells, and it just made her feel cold. And she had been running fever and some stuff like that. So we wrapped her up in a blanket, and we set her on the front row of the church because that's where she wanted to be. She wanted to worship. If you get to the lowest point in your life and you see God for who he is, When he looks at you and sees all the struggles in your life and see how's your, how you're hurting and, and you recognize he's God and who you are and his relationship and how he pursues you in your deepest, darkest place, and he speaks to your soul and says, shh, I promise you, you'll worship. You'll worship. The invitation this morning, it's just that, it's to worship. If you need to come down here and you need to cry at this altar because you need to worship him that way. If you need to stand and sing praises to him. If you need to stand in your chair. I don't care. You worship as God calls you to worship. If you need to go outside and cry your eyes out. Go outside and cry your eyes out. If you need to talk to me. You need to talk to somebody. You say, I'm just hurting. I need somebody to, to wrap their arms around me and tell me that, that they, they love me. I'll be happy to do that. We'll, we'll find somebody. If, if there's more people than want to hug me then they can hug somebody else well, we'll find somebody but let me invite you to do this this morning the first song that we sing does not sound like an invitation song where you're supposed to come down here and cry but it, what it does is it sounds like a song where we worship and that's what we're going to do the next two songs that we sing we're going to worship now, if it breaks your heart when you do it let it break your heart let God speak to your soul but just worship just worship Father, God, this is so heavy. It's so difficult and it's so heavy. Now there are people here that need to worship. Now they've been focused too long on too many other things and not been focused on you. And what worship does is shifts our focus from us to you. So I, God, I, I pray in Jesus' name that the power of your Holy Spirit, that, that he would come and just... Convict people, Lord, to worship in spirit and in truth. And God, if there's somebody here that needs to surrender their life to you because, God, you have pursued them this morning and you have chased them down in the place that they're in and they just, God, they don't have a relationship with you. And God, you, you want a relationship with them. If you've chased them down this morning, I pray that they would surrender and turn to you. God, thank you so much, Lord. 
God, there's, there's going to be healing that happens in the next few minutes as people worship you. God, I pray, Lord, I pray that we just worship you and we say thank you, God, for the healing that is going to come. God, thank you for allowing us to worship you. It is always a privilege to sing to King Jesus. It is always a privilege, God, to just lift up your name and be close to you. Father, thank you. God, you tell us in your word that you inhabit the praises of your people. So, God, inhabit the praises of your people right now as we worship you. God, if people need to come and cry and pray, I hope that they feel the liberty and freedom to do that. God, if people want to raise their hands and worship in awe of an almighty God, I pray that they would do that. God, if there's a dark cloud hanging over somebody right now, God, and they're, they're afraid and they, they don't want to go on and they're, they're not sure, God, I pray that you would lift that cloud as they lift their hands to you and worship. Father, thank you. God, thank you. Thank you for just being close to us and pursuing us the way that you do. God, be glorified now in this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone, please stand. Your love never 
going to sing another invitation worship song. Let me tell you something. I wasn't going to say this. I wasn't going to tell you this part of the story because, I don't know, maybe I was embarrassed. Maybe I feel like I shouldn't be quite that transparent or what have you. That's fine. I don't care. I'll be honest with you. So when Kenneth died, after she died, there would be nights before her funeral that uh, I would just lay there and I would think, like, maybe, maybe we should just, well, me and Cassia, we'll just go get in the car and we'll crank it up and we'll just put Cassie in the back seat and we'll just all go we'll, we'll just leave we'll close the garage and we'll just sleep into a deep sleep and we'll all just leave the pain and suffering of this life we'll, we'll just go on and, and we'll, we'll see we, we we just don't want to take it anymore we, do, we just can't take it anymore we don't live want to live another day I, I, to be perfectly honest with you those thoughts went through my head God spoke just like he spoke to Elijah and his place of worship was to serve other people and those 7,000 that never worshipped the prophets of Baal and never worshipped Baal those 7,000 God said the same thing to me the exact same thing he said so that would take care of you but what about everybody else what about everybody else what, what about those people that, that need the message of hope? What about the people that feel like they're at the end of their rope? What, what about everybody else? So a few days later, I got up at her funeral and I spoke. And I, said, I told him, I said, there are two words that come to my mind when I, when I think about my daughter's life and I thought about her passing from this life into all of eternity. And there's only two words that come to my mind. The fact that she died just a few days ago. That is, praise God. Praise God, worship God, love God, serve God, be close to God. Two words, praise God. Maybe you just need to sing praises to God. Maybe that will be your place of healing. Maybe that will draw your attention from you and the deep, dark place that you're in to the eternity of God. Just be real with Him, be open with Him, be honest with Him. Stop trying to hold back and look a certain way. Just let it go and let it take it to his altar. Put it in his hands.